0: And now, may you be blessed and inspired by our weekly podcast of the message from the 10 a.m. Sunday Morning Mosaic Worship Service, Garfield Memorial Church, Widening the Circle. Good morning. Welcome to Garfield Memorial Church. You know, whether you are online or you're joining us in person this morning, I'm telling you, You make this a better place. It would not be Garfield without you here. Really, it's a wonderful—like, this is our mosaic service, but I I talk about this sometimes. This is like a mosaic of faith, where each of us with our uniquenesses, our differences, and the way that God designed us, and we come together and we worship as one, you don't see that anywhere else in the world. And so really, it's such an honor, such a privilege— It's such a joy to be able to do this and be a part of this with each and every one of you. Um, This morning, I've been invited to to preach and continue our series, Easter on the Margins. My name is Caleb, and along with my wife, Leilani, I have the wonderful privilege of serving as Connection Pastor uh, here at Garfield. Um, You might remember, some of you, I was invited to preach last summer, and at that time, I came in as a guest. And my wife and I and our family—we have three little ones, and actually, a little one on the way—and um, so we're going to be a family of six soon. But we started coming last March. Somebody told us they heard about my wife and I's heart and our passion for the church and for people, and what our values were around that. And they said, "You need to go to Garfield." And it has been a prayer come true. I kind of shared with you all about how we moved to. Cleveland, January 2020, we got our house, and we moved here to start a church, and we did not know what was going to happen with the pandemic, and how that uprooted and changed not only our lives, but our society, and everything that was normal to us, and I think a lot of you had plans sidetracked just like we did, and so it was so, it's been so refreshing, so fulfilling, so uh, joyful to be a part of Garfield with all of you, And uh, as I said, we're going to continue our message, uh, our series for Lent, Easter on the margins, and as Pastor Chip said, we're looking at the story and the life of Jesus as Luke gives us an account of how he lived and the ministry that he did, and where he went out of his way, is how I'd like to put it. He went way out of his way to make sure that he connected with people who were on the margins and included them. And we see that repeatedly over and over and over again in the Gospels and particularly in Luke. And so in Luke chapter 7, we we see a story that's sometimes called um, a sinful woman. You know, it's about her. But we also have a story in Luke that's about the prodigal son. So we see one instance where Jesus is interacting with a person, a real person, even though we don't know their name. We don't know her name. We don't know her identity. We don't know anything really about her. We just know that the Pharisee thought of her as sinful. So we see Jesus interact with her, and then we see a story in Luke 15 where Jesus is giving an example. He's telling a parable about a prodigal son. And so both of these give us some insight and some perspective into the way that Jesus views people, into the way he behaves and treats them, into his attitude towards them and how he wants us to follow along with him in that. Um, As I was kind of preparing for this message, to kind of give you a a little bit of information about me, when I was about 17 or 18, I began learning like graphic design and doing that. And so for several years, I've done it freelance, a couple of times I've done it more more full-time. But there's something in graphic design called negative space. It's actually just the empty space that has nothing in it. And sometimes we see really neat things like the FedEx logo has an arrow in it. If you've never noticed that before, you'll never be able to unsee it. That's negative space. It's using the area that has nothing in it to convey a message. And so in graphic design, we have that. But in book design, we have margins. And that also is negative space. It's room that's intended to be there by the designer to make it easier to read and understand the content of the book. And I think oftentimes, some of us just kind of scribble on it. We might just ignore it or pay no attention to it. It may not even be visible to us, but a few years ago, I got a book where the margins were cut wrong. And I have to tell you, I never realized how hard it is to read when the margins are wrong. Okay, when they're not cut the right way and they're not shaped a certain way, it made it really difficult for me to read that book. It was, one of, it was not a hard book to read content-wise, but you don't realize how much your eyes and your brain rely on that negative space to understand what's in front of you and to make sense of it. And so in the same way, I want us to kind of orient our thought process around the margins. They're there by design. The people we see marginalized, who are oppressed, who are hurt, who are sidelined, who are rejected, who are harmed, Who are victimized those people are there by design by our Creator but they're not meant to just be invisible and to be used and to be discarded and forgotten about no they're a part of the narrative and without them there we will not understand God's plan and his mission and his story of humanity and what how he's reconciling us and so when we look in these Gospels I want you to have that picture in mind that we're reading stories about how Jesus stepped outside of what was scripted and normal in society, and he steps into that negative space. And he brings people and writes them into the God's redemptive story, okay? So in Luke chapter 7, I'm, for a few moments I'm going to give us some context about what's taking place. Because I think in our modern society, we don't have a basis for really understanding what was happening. I know I didn't, and it was very helpful for me to learn, so I want to share that with you this morning. But what we're going to see is we're going to see an intersection in Luke chapter 7 of three individuals. We have Jesus, we have Simon the Pharisee, and we have an unnamed, unidentified, sinful woman. Okay? And I think she's unidentified for a reason. It's going to help us to understand But what we know about this encounter from uh, Pastor Chip reading these verses for us is we know that the Pharisee invited Jesus to have a meal at his home. So first off, Jesus was invited to this meal. And the second thing you need to know is the woman was not invited. Okay? Have any of you ever had a meal at your home where somebody who was a complete stranger just walked in and just joined you? And anybody actually have that happen? I mean, I'm looking for a real hand out there. Like, put it up really high if you've ever had that happen. One time? time? That's, okay, I got to hear the story afterwards, all right? Because I have never experienced that. And I think that's very very unusual for us in our day and age um, for that to happen. But what is also going on here is we see that it reveals the thought process of the Pharisee that he thinks of her as a sinner. And... Some have even speculated when they kind of researched this and they're trying to understand what was going on at the times, they've speculated that she was a prostitute. But I really want to make it clear that the, that the words that are presented here in the original language and in the context don't say that. So if we want to think of her as a prostitute, fine. But most likely it was just the fact that he was a Pharisee, which was res- reserved just for men. And so automatically because she's a woman, she's not as good as him. Okay. So it could be as little as that or as extreme as being one of the worst sinners possible. So she can represent either one of those for us today. But he thinks of her as a sinner. Um, And then we see in this instance that what she is doing is she is visibly creating a scene where she is being noticed. Okay? She's crying on Jesus' feet. And for those of you that think that sounds weird because we sit in regular chairs and our feet are in front of us, so that would be very awkward if we were pulled up to a table, they were kind of reclining on their side and would have had their feet behind them um, in this setting. So she's crying on his feet. She's wiping them with her hair. She's kissing his feet and pouring ointment on them. This is a very distracting scene that she's creating in this moment. And then we learn that the Pharisee is very put off by this situation. Not only does he have a low view of her but he begins to lower his view of Jesus because we see that he thinks to himself that if this man was a prophet he wouldn't allow this to happen and he wouldn't let a woman like this touch him and he wouldn't let this encounter take place he would correct it okay this is his thought process so just kind of setting the tone here and just to give an even more understanding of like the situation that's happening because as I said we we don't have just strangers walk into our homes But in that time, it was customary for religious leaders like a Pharisee to invite a visiting prophet or teacher into their home to have a meal, to have a conversation with them. And this was something that was done in a way where it was open to people from the public to come in. And they were intended to just kind of stay on the margins of the room to kind of listen, to observe, to learn from these religious leaders in that setting. So what she is doing by coming into this kind of private meal setting that she's, she's permitted to come into, not invited, but permitted, but she's expected to stay invisible, okay? She's not intended to be seen, to be noticed, to be featured at all. But she, in, in her actions, becomes visible and becomes present. Um, and what we know is that any other prophet— In this situation, who was visiting would have corrected her, told her to stop what she was doing, maybe even to leave. Now, let's go over to Luke 15, and we see a similar situation happening. We didn't read verses 1 and 2, but I want to give you context about this. The reason Jesus tells the parable is because he is eating and welcoming sinners, and the Pharisees and scribes have a problem with it. So I, I imagine that you're thinking right now, these sound very similar. Jesus is welcoming somebody who shouldn't be there. He's associating with them. He's eating with them. And who has a problem with it? Religious people. Pharisees. The people who are kind of uptight about following the letter of the law. And so in the scene, in Luke 15, Jesus knows that the Pharisees and scribes have a problem with what's happening. And so he tells them three parables— Now, we're going to focus on the prodigal son, but you need to have the understanding of what's going on in the whole picture. So if you have been around church a little bit, you know, maybe even not at all, you might have heard of these stories before. But the first one is the parable of the lost sheep, where the shepherd leaves the 99 to get the one, right? We all have kind of heard that story before. Well, there's a second one that's maybe not quite as familiar, but it's about a woman who lost a coin in her home. She had 10 coins and she lost one. And I like to say she turned up her house, okay? She was flipping furniture and moving things, opening drawers. Now, I've done that when I lost my keys, okay? <laughs> Those are really valuable to us. And I think sometimes we read that she was doing that for a coin, and our picture in our head is of, like, the little coin denominations that we have. And most of us won't react unless it's a quarter, okay? Let's be honest. And, and, and really what it is is we're hoping it's a half dollar, you know, at best. There's a little glimmer, and it's like, uh, maybe that's worth something. Okay? No, this was like a very valuable coin for her, so she was willing to do whatever it took to find that lost coin. And in both instances, Jesus is presenting that they find what was lost, and in response to finding it, they throw a celebration and a party with their friends. Okay? Because it was worth celebrating what was lost. At this point, in that, in that moment, the Pharisees and scribes would have been on board with Jesus, they would have thought, that's normal, that's exactly what I would do if I was in that situation. Yes, we're right there with you. They're bought in. And then Jesus goes into the parable of the prodigal son. And he starts to present this story of a wayward son. A young, there's a, there are three people in this story. You've got the father, you have the eldest son, and you have the youngest son. And what happens in this scene is that the youngest son asks the father for his inheritance, and then he leaves and wastes it. And that would have been incredibly dishonoring and disrespectful to his father and to his family name for him to do that in, those, in that day and age. Because he was requesting for one, he was asking for his inheritance early, long before he should have been receiving it. And then he goes and just wastes everything his father worked to give him. He wastes it. He wastes it on prostitutes. He wastes it on frivolous living. He's living a life and enjoying every moment of it until he loses everything and hits rock bottom. Actually, what was ironic is in the story, it says he got hit by a famine. And in a way, I feel like I can relate to that. Maybe some of us can relate to that because COVID was kind of like a famine that came out of nowhere and surprised all of us, kind of put us off, off pace. But this young man did not prepare... For moments like these, he just spent and wasted everything he had. And that's what it means to be a prodigal, is to be wasteful or to be foolish with what you have. And so that's the picture we have. And then Jesus follows it up by showing us that this young man has a revelation, a realization, that if I were to go back home to my father, I would be better off than where I'm at right now. Even if I just go back and I'm a servant in his house, and he treats me like I'm not a son anymore, I would still be better off than where I'm at right now. So he returns home, and this is the moment when I think the Pharisees, this is kind of what I'm speculating, I think this is the moment where the Pharisees kind of were like, I don't know what you're talking about here, Jesus. Because in this picture, he shows us that the father didn't just wait at the house until the son came in. No, he saw him from far away, ran to him, embraced him, welcomed him back. He didn't care one bit about where he had been and what he had done. He was just so overwhelmed with joy that his son had come home, that he wasn't dead, that he wasn't lost anymore. And he threw a huge party to celebrate his son's return. Now, this is the moment, like I said, where I think the Pharisees were like, yeah, no, that's not what I would do. If that was my son, I would wait inside the house He would come in and he would beg for my forgiveness. He would have to work to earn a place in this house after the way he disrespected and was dishonorable towards me and everything that I had done for him. That would have been the Pharisees' mindset about this story. So we can already see there is a contrasting difference between the way that we perceive the value of things, whether that would be money, whether that would be animals like the sheep, or whether that would be people isn't it odd even in our day and age today that we have a lower value of people sometimes i'm sure right now there are things just ticking off in your head that we often think as more valuable than people i have a coworker i work with i didn't even share this in the heritage service it's coming to me right now but i have a coworker i work with he shared with me about how he used to manage a starbucks and a woman was so upset about the coffee that they had made and how it was wrong. It was just black coffee. And he, had, he was so apologetic, wanted to help and make a new one for her. But she was so upset, she said, I don't have time and threw the coffee on him. That's our culture today. We don't have time for people. And neither did the Pharisees. So what we see in this setting is that the son was violating what was customary and what was normal in his time for a family for a son to behave towards his father. But what we see in these two stories of how Jesus interacted with the sinful woman and a parable that he shares about the son is that Jesus responds to people in a certain way, that he is willing to violate social taboos to reach out to those marginalized, not only racially, Economically and religiously, but also morally. Jesus would violate social taboos. I wonder what normal behavior we hold on to in our lives that we're not willing to violate for someone on the margins. What are those rules of, you know, being proper and being respectful and being, you know, honorable in our culture? That we hold so tight to because of our reputation, because of our family, because of the people that we're trying to impress, that we're willing to discard people. I'm actually kind of reminded in this moment, I'm reminded of the early church, that there was a situation where Peter was eating with Gentile Christians. But when his friends from Jerusalem, who were Israelite Christians, came in, he removed himself from the Gentile Christians, and only ate and associated with the Jewish ones. It was even affecting the early church, this idea that some are better than others, and that there's certain social or religious or political motivations or intentions and, or norms that we're supposed to follow that would cause us to marginalize other people. But what we find out is there are no limits for Jesus' love And no one is off limits from his love. This is what Jesus wants us to get from these parables. Well, from the encounter with the woman and the parables that he shared. There are no limits for his love. There's no social norm. There's no expected behavior. There's no social pattern that he's going to conform to to make sure that you and I feel better about ourselves and that others feel less than. No, his love will break the barriers and extend into the margins and embrace people who are on the margins. And those people are not off, love, off limits from his love. At this moment, I, I want you to think for a moment, somebody, you know, Pastor Scott last week did a great job of doing this for us. Instead of making the list for us, he asked us to think, who would be the leper in our lives today? Who's the person that I would say is off limits? That's the person that Jesus' love goes to. But, you know, there's another really interesting thing that is happening in these encounters with the Pharisees. Jesus is attacking piety, proximity, and privilege. And I'll explain what I mean by those. But he, he's kind of attacking something that the Pharisees hold very near and dear to their way of life. So, and we see that every time that Jesus is interacting with these individuals, he's telling these stories— that these religious folks get really upset. They get really angry, they get really bitter, they get really jealous that Jesus would even associate by eating a meal and welcoming sinners. And so Jesus is addressing them in Luke chapter 7. When we move on in that story between verses 40 and 50, I'm going to kind of summarize what happens. Jesus speaks to Simon directly after these thoughts about the woman Jesus knows his thoughts, and he says to Simon, hey, I got something I'd like to share with you. And Simon is like, please, teacher, share with me. And he says, there are two individuals who owe a debt to a loan lender. He says one of them owes a greater amount, and one of them owes less. And because neither of them can repay what they owe, the lender decides to forgive their debts. He asks Simon, Which of those two debtors has more love for the one that forgave them? And Simon answers rightfully, it's the one with the greater debt that was forgiven. And Jesus points out in that moment, Simon's hypocrisy and his inability to see his own need for forgiveness. In those times, it was customary that when you had a guest in your home, you would provide water for them to wash their feet, you would anoint their head with oil, and you would give them a kiss. It was a sign of a greeting. We might do like a fist bump or a handshake or something today, but it would be a kiss in those times. Simon did none of those things. He wanted the honor and the respect and the prestige of having Jesus the prophet in his home, but he didn't want to show honor to Jesus. He had no affection, no, no love, no you know, courtesy towards Jesus in that way. But the woman from the moment she came in was crying and washing his feet with her tears, wiping them with her hair, pouring ointment on his feet and kissing them. And Jesus said her many sins, unidentified, whatever they may be, her sins are forgiven. And because of that, she knows how to show love. A lot of love. And Simon, because—he doesn't say this explicitly, but this is the point of the text— but Simon, because you perceive yourself as being forgiven just a little, you're so good, you only need a little bit of forgiveness, you don't love as much as she does. You don't understand the grace and and the love and the forgiveness and the reconciliation that God has done for you, too. And so, when we think about this in context of the Old Testament, Oftentimes, the Israelites, the nation of Israel, was compared to a harlot or a prostitute any time that they put their faith and their trust, or they looked for security in something other than God. So we want a king for ourselves. It's not enough to have God. We want, you know, we're seeking money, security in finances. We're seeking security in idols or other gods that we're going to worship, and other customs that are formed to us. So in any of those situations, the Bible refers to the nation of Israel as being a harlot because they lost their love for God and sought security in something else. And what is happening in this, in this Pharisee's heart, Simon the Pharisee, God's revealing to us that he is a prostitute of the heart because he doesn't trust in God for forgiveness, he trusts in his own ability to follow the law. He doesn't need God, he does everything right already. I'm good enough on my own, I'll make the annual sacrifice and whatever ritual I have to do, I'll do all the right things. I don't need Jesus. That's the, that's the attitude and the position that a lot of religious folks take, is I'm good without God. And so they don't see their need for forgiveness. And what is the good news that we get for both of them? The good news for prostitutes, no matter how much or how little you have sinned, Jesus forgives you. No matter how much, whatever her sins may have been, or how little, the Pharisee, Simon, Jesus offers forgiveness to them. That's the good news that Jesus came to bring. When we go to look in Luke chapter 15, Jesus follows up this story of the prodigal son and gives us an image of the eldest son and his response to what is happening about his younger brother coming home. We see that the eldest son, upon hearing that his younger brother has returned home and is being celebrated with a party, what is his response? He gets angry. That's what the Bible tells us, he was angry. I imagine he felt a lot of other things too, bitterness, jealousy, that here I am, I've stayed home, I've been faithful to my father, I've done all the right things. And then this son of yours comes back after living like a prodigal and you celebrate him. That was the attitude of the eldest son. And in presenting this to us and to the Pharisees and the scribes at that time, Jesus was exposing their religious attitude towards those who were marginalized. That they had a position of thinking that because I have proximity to God, into being holy to the law that i am somehow closer to god but in the story he reveals that even though the eldest son never left home he also never truly knew his father's heart how detrimental would that be for you and i that if we stayed so close to god and we did all the right things and we attended church every week and we saying all the right songs and we said all the right prayers yet we never truly knew the heart of god and never extended that to those on the margins what a missed opportunity that would be and so jesus is revealing to us that it's not enough just to have good works no you need to come and present yourself the same way that the sinful woman did the same way that the prodigal son did with humility towards god that i don't deserve but thank you for what you offer to me." Because even though we may have outward works down, we may find ourselves on the outside of God's grace. We could be doing all the right outward works and still be on the outside of God's grace. And he shows us that just like this eldest son, the Pharisees looked and appeared like they were close to God, but truly they were far from him. And in a way, with all of the opportunities, with all of the privilege that they had as Pharisees, that they could have extended that same grace, the same joy, the same redemption to other people, they kept it and hoarded it for themselves and sought to make themselves better than others through the law. By maybe exacting the law to a T, they were somehow better than others. But Jesus came, Jesus fulfilled the law, and fully embraced everyone. I think that's an amazing picture that You could be a religious person that follows the law to a T, but excludes people. Yet Jesus shows us a way to fully, that he fully, you know, fulfilled the law, but then fully embraced people as well. So I think the good news for prodigals, because the eldest son was kind of like a prodigal of the heart, the good news for them is no matter how near or how far you are from home, God loves you. It doesn't matter if you're here every week and someone else is strung out in East Cleveland every week. Neither of you are any closer or any farther away from the love of God. Amen? The only difference is we know about it. The only difference is we have an opportunity to share it with them. We're not better than them. We just have an opportunity to share it with them. So the amazing thing that I think happens here as I I look to close is the parable of the prodigal son actually finishes open-ended. It doesn't conclude by telling us the oldest son's response to what his father says to him, that like, he says, we couldn't help ourselves but celebrate. That yes, you've been with me always and everything I have is yours. But your son, I, my, uh, your younger brother, my son, I thought he was dead. I thought he was lost forever. But because he's home, That's worth celebrating. That's the perspective that Jesus wants us to have. So it ends in an open-ended way where we have an opportunity to decide who are we going to imitate? Are we going to be like the religious leaders, the Pharisees, the scribes, those who believe that because we we are pious and we do everything right, that we're closer to God, that because we have proximity to God and His church, that we're somehow closer to God or better than others, Are we going to use the grace of God as an excuse to exclude people from the church? Or are we going to be like Jesus, who fully welcomes and embraces the marginalized, who fully forgives the sinners, who fully celebrates the return of the wayward? Sung Chan Ra said, The strongest warnings Jesus gives us are directed at his disciples when they begin believing that because they are with Jesus, they are somehow privileged and better than others. Let's not allow our proximity to God to make us think we're better. Let's not allow the opportunities and the privilege that God has given us through His grace to cause us to leave other people out. And I think during this season of Lent, you know, I wanna share with you, this is actually the first time I've observed Lent. I grew up in church, my parents are pastors, but I don't come from a tradition that observed Lent. And so for me, I'm kind of learning about that this year. I'm learning about the opportunity it is for me to reflect and to see where I'm broken, where I'm missing the mark, where I need mercy, grace, forgiveness, and reconciliation. It's an opportunity for me to repent. And I wanna call us all to see that when it comes to people who are marginalized and it comes to us following Jesus, does our pursuit of Christ lead us away from people? Or does it cause us to go towards people to be like a funnel that god's presence his love his joy comes in and fills us but it flows through us into the lives of people who are around us and if for some reason we find ourselves being like the pharisees it's an opportunity for us to repent which means we turn away from those actions and we choose to be like christ and allow his transforming work to change our hearts and our minds and how we view people and our attitudes towards them. And I'm reminded when I think about the eldest son that, that the Bible in Romans 8.29 actually says that we are being conformed to the image of Christ and that he would be the firstborn of a new family for God. He's the firstborn. And by contrast, compared to the eldest son in that parable, Philippians 2.1-11 through 11 tells us this is what he did. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who though he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be grasped, to be held onto, but he emptied himself, taking the form of a slave or a servant, assuming human likeness, he became like us. It wasn't enough for Jesus for him to sit on the throne with God, to stay in heaven where everything was perfect and where he had everything you know, everything he needed. No, he'd set all of that aside. He set aside being like God and became like us and lived life the same way as us. He enjoyed the joys he experienced, the sorrows, all of it. And it says, and being found in appearance as a human, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus was willing to sacrifice everything to reach those who were marginalized. Even to the point of death what is it that in our Western society in our you know, Americanized church you know Christianity, what is it that we're willing to sacrifice for people on the margins? what is it that we're willing to not grasp but empty ourselves of? What is it we're willing to die for? Where do we place value? Is it in our money and our possessions and other things or do we value people above even our own well-being i hope you see that what i would encourage you today is to be like jesus that he would welcome those who are not invited he would forgive those who are unforgivable we would love those who are unlovable give grace to those who don't deserve it show favor to the unfavorable embrace the exile and redeem the irredeemable what is the good news for all of us No one is so good that they don't need the grace of God, and no one is so bad that they can't have it. No one is so good that they don't need it, and no one is so bad that they can't have it. The picture I want to give you today is of a a basketball player dunking a basketball on a 10-foot goal. Okay? When I was growing up as a young man, I had a goal to be the shortest NBA player in the, you know, shortest basketball player in the NBA and I would practice my jump all the time. And I could get up and touch a 10-foot goal, but I could never quite get to the point where I could dunk it. And then one day I outgrew the shortest NBA player and I realized that goal wasn't a reality. And so, (laughs) the picture I wanna give you is, there are some people who can make that dunk, maybe some of you in this room. Unfortunately, I'm one of those people who can't. So if that was the measure of being accepted by God and entry into heaven and being you know blessed, I would miss the mark every time. I would miss it even more now because I, I, I don't have any, any jump anymore. But, but the picture I really want you to get is of a 20-foot basketball goal. There isn't a single person on this planet that can make that dunk. Nobody can jump that high. There's people who could get close, real close, but nobody can make that dunk. And the amazing thing about the grace of God is it doesn't matter how close or how little you miss it, And it doesn't matter how far and how much you fail. The grace of God is for every single one of us to make up what we couldn't do for ourselves. Let's keep that in mind as we go into this Easter season. We're looking forward to the resurrection, to the redemption, to reconciliation with God. Where Jesus makes us whole and redeems us with with God. Let's make sure everybody gets the opportunity to receive that. Amen? Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your grace and your love and your forgiveness that even when we were far from you, it brought us back home. God, thank you that even when we missed a mark a little bit, your grace makes up the difference. Lord, we would be lost in our sin. We would be broken in our pain. We would be harmful to other humans, to other people without you showing us the way. God, I pray that in this Easter season during Lent, that we would repent of the ways that we have excluded people from your home, from your family, from your church, from the grace that you offer. God, and I pray that you would redeem us and help us to become ministers of reconciliation, where we go out of our way to reach people on the margins and bring them close to God. God, thank you. Thank you, thank you that you didn't leave us in sin but you stepped out of heaven became a man that you lived you died and you rose again and because of that we have hope that we don't have to stay the way we are but we can be transformed and join your family for this reason I bow my knees before the father from whom every family in heaven and on earth takes its name I pray that according to the riches of his glory He may grant that you may be strengthened in your inner being with power through his spirit and that christ may dwell in your hearts through faith as you are being rooted and grounded in love and i pray that you may have the power to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth what is the length what is the height and the depth and to know the love of christ that surpasses knowledge so that you may be filled with all the fullness of god we pray all this in your name jesus